turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. The title of this morning's message is Guard the Gospel. We do include a, uh, a section to take notes on the back of your weekly update, and I invite you to do that if that will help you to track along and retain this message, as I know it often does for me. Uh, but we want to look at why. what is the gospel? Why do we need to guard it this morning? And is it something that, that we guard, or more so we guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus? And I think you'll see what I mean by that. If you're not familiar with 1 Timothy or weren't here last week when we started, well, first of all, welcome. Welcome to Living Hope Church. So glad that you're here. It's my joy to serve as the, as the lead pastor. My father, Dennis, is our pastor of community and care. And since we launched Living Hope a little over a year ago, a year and four months ago, it's been incredible to see him work in the lives of the people of this community, saving the lost, <laughs> see people come to faith in Christ, take those steps of obedience and baptism and discipleship and growth and to reach our community for Christ. That is how we see a church planted in North Sarasota. And one important aspect of growing in our faith is growing in our knowledge of the Word of God and hearing from the Lord on a weekly basis. So in 1 Timothy, we're going through this letter, and you see in the first two verses, we covered this last week, but just as a refresher, Paul is the apostle of Jesus Christ, a missionary to the Gentiles, so the, the non-Jews, the, the Greek-speaking world traveling all around the Mediterranean region, planting new churches much like this, but, but reaching people, some of whom are familiar with Judaism or were Jews, but maybe they're, they're Greek-speaking Jews, and you see these new churches planted, and then you have non-Jews come in who are used to worshiping false gods and a number of false gods, and so based on everyone's pre-understanding of who God is, there's coming in, there's spiritual confusion coming into the church. There's people who are trying to pull away the, uh, the direction of the church away from the message delivered to Jesus. So Paul writes this letter to Timothy, the, his true child in the faith. He led Timothy to the Lord. Timothy is the pastor of this church or one of the pastors of this church that, that appears to have that lead pastor role. And he says, Timothy, I, I want to encourage you in your calling, dealing with the spiritual confusion and with some of these false teachers who are misleading the church most importantly, what this letter is about is how is the household of God supposed to conduct herself? What does a good church look like? A healthy church, a church that loves God and loves others. There are things to look for, and there's certainly some things that should not be a part of this church. Now, he says over in his second letter to Timothy, you don't have to turn there, but I'll, I'll just tell you, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14 Paul specifically tells Timothy, I want you to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. I want you to guard that gospel truth that was entrusted to you. You are a servant of the Lord. This is not your message, but you are to guard that message and you guard it by the Holy Spirit who's within you. To put on the mind of Christ and to listen to his word and not to put on the teachings of others who would lead you astray in that. So let me read our key passage for us this morning. We'll seek to understand what Paul is communicating, most importantly, what God, the Holy Spirit, through Paul is communicating to us today. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths 
and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make their confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. That's a powerful passage right there. Uh, there's some strong words in there. Wouldn't you say? This is a strong message from Paul. He hardly got into his greeting to Timothy. There's, there's a heartfelt, sincere uh, opening to his letter, and then he gets right into it. Timothy, I've, I've got to encourage you. You've got to stay strong in the faith. You have to guard the gospel against false teaching, which is his main point in these verses, if you're taking notes. Guard the gospel against false teaching. As I was working in the yard on Friday, I was listening to a podcast, which is my, my typical habit. I like true crime. I like history. I like learning things. And I also love good stories. And so if you find that right podcast that blends the two together, I love it. If you know of any good podcast, send it my way because I love working out in the yard. But I, my, my, my podcast on Spotify recommended to me learning about the history of the ninjas. Does anyone know anything about the history of the ninjas? You see the costumes at Halloween. You see people dress up like it in the movies, right, in the black, and they've got the, the samurai swords, and they've got the throwing stars, and, and there's just a look. You know a ninja when you see him. Well, I learned actually historically that's not quite true of how it worked. Back in the 13th century, it, was, uh, it, could, it could have been farmers who learned martial arts, and they also learned the practice of espionage. So basically, they were spies, fancy spies that could assassinate if need be. And they would slip in behind enemy lines. But here's what was different about the ninjas. They didn't wear all black because then you could identify them. Well, that's a ninja. You know what they dress like? Everyday people like you and I. They would dress like a castle guard. So they're walking down the hallway. A castle guard sees them. Oh, looks like a castle guard. And they walk right past them. Fatal mistake. You get stabbed in the back. Okay? But ninjas looked just like everybody else. That's what they were known for. In fact, it was rumored, oh, they can walk on water. They can, they can uh, influence how people think and, and mess with their minds. They had these very mythical uh, proportions to their legend because they could slip in and out unnoticed. I couldn't help but think about the ninjas when I'm reading this passage because Paul says, Timothy, there are people in your churches. There are people perhaps in your leadership groups who look like you and talk like you. And if you were to show them the same checklist of beliefs about Jesus Christ, they would say, yes, I believe those same things. And yet by their 
by their teaching and by the influence of their life, they're leading you down a different path. It's not the path that Christ has set before us. It's a foreign way. It's a false teaching because it does not stick to the truth. So beware. Guard the gospel. And we'll see he tells us there's three ways to guard the gospel against false teaching. First, by staying the course. Secondly, by remembering the goal of our faith. And thirdly, to know the law and the proper application of the law. Let's unpack that together here. How do we guard the gospel? First, stay the course. Timothy, you might be discouraged and bewildered and and not sure what to do with this delicate situation in your church, but we see several strong words from Paul where he says, Timothy, you've got to stay at your post. He says, remain. Remain it. Remember when I was talking to you and I was passing by Macedonia? Because you know how Paul was. I mean, he's going over here. He's going over here. He's starting this church. Ephesus was one of the few places he actually stayed a good while, probably about two years. That's the longest he was. As far as we can tell, in one place, in one church, he was on the move. But he would raise up godly men to lead the church. He says, Timothy, I I, I called you to this purpose, and I've called you to raise up other faithful men like yourself. So stay at your post. Your calling is not done. If God has called you here, just because it's getting hard, and there's starting to, to be some smoke on the battlefield, and it's hard to tell friend from foe at times, Don't get discouraged and don't quit. And for those of us who live in a very spiritually confusing age today, can we not appreciate that? It's tempting to to just quit. (laughs) Tempting to walk away and and just, I'm going to do my own thing because I don't know who to trust. But no, God's called us to this for a reason. And it's a firm calling. Paul says, I urged you. He's using personal terms, drawing on his relationship with Timothy. But there's also concern here. Timothy, the time is now. God called you for such a time as this. Yes, the false teachers are here, but as Dominic read earlier, Jesus said the false teachers were come. So if the false teachers didn't come, then Jesus is a liar. So be expecting it. Be ready for it. Be prepared to deal with it. The first way we deal with it is by staying the course with the gospel calling that God has placed on our lives. Now, Timothy is serving in a very pagan culture. If you don't know anything about Ephesus, such a pagan city, and one of the things that they were known for was one of the seven ancient wonders, or seven wonders of the ancient world. And that was the temple. That was the temple to the goddess Diana. And the the poets would write about this magnificent structure. They've never seen anything like it. This city was so full of, of idols and rituals and paganism and immorality and those practices that would accompany the worship of false gods. So if ever you were to to serve in a needy area, it would be Ephesus. And yet, Paul says, I'm not really too threatened about what's going on out there. The biggest threat is right here. This is my concern. This is what keeps me up at night. And this is what I devote most of my prayer to, for the unity of the church, for the faithfulness of the church, for the understanding of the church to be able to discern what is pleasing to the Lord and what am I just doing to please myself. He says there's some people here that are doing it for themselves. So charge these certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So basically, silence that false teaching. Not physically, 
but using your godly leadership role to steer the flock in the right direction and tell the false teachers, you need to sit down and be quiet. That is not the way of Jesus. That is not what Jesus has taught us. What is doctrine? Don't teach any different doctrine. What? So it, it means the teachings, the teachings of Jesus in a collective whole, as also passed on to the apostles. This became known as the, the doctrine. This is the collection of teachings. So Old Testament and now the new, specifically with the gospels of Jesus Christ, which is what the early church would have been familiar with at this point. The canon of scripture has not yet been completed. They don't have all the New Testament letters, but they do know Jesus and they know the gospel that he taught. And Paul says, Timothy, this is the teaching that Jesus handed to us. This is the key that will enter the kingdom of heaven. The true teaching of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The cross is the only way. And if you have people who are teaching any different doctrine, we've gone off track. And we're in a very dangerous position spiritually to deny the risen Savior or to deny the stewardship of God that comes from faith. Because at the end of the day, what are we doing here? We're hearing the word of God. I'm seeking by the spirit of God and by the love of God to teach you the word of God for your understanding and your life. But you have to receive it. Faith is the personal reception of the word of God. If you're not listening or you choose to go your own way or you think you figured out a better way to worship or to know God other than his word, well, then that's not faith. That's pride. That's paganism. You're mixing up religiosity and, and acting like you're okay with God. But Jesus said, all scripture points to me. That's Luke 24, 27. He even rebukes those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He says, how are you not getting this? How do you not see the whole Testament points to me? So if there's anyone who's telling you to go off course and point in a different direction, that's heresy. They are leading you astray because they're leading you away from Jesus. Look down at the second half of verse 10 and verse 11. Paul says, here's what you are to aim for. Here's what staying on the course looks like. Sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. The teachings of Jesus actually give life to our soul. This is the gospel of God's glory, the blessed God who entrusted this to us. So the word of God is not about you and me. The word of God is about the glory of the one who is invisible, but he has made himself known through Jesus Christ and through his word. This is the blessing. This is the gospel. This is also healthy teaching to walk in the word of God. So if you want to know what is healthy teaching, here's what, what a definition of healthy teaching would be. Healthy teaching, healthy teaching comes from the word of God exalts Christ, and edifies the believers. You should do those, those three things. Okay, let me say that again. Healthy teaching comes from the word of God, exalts Christ, not man, and edifies others. He says, Timothy, I'm charging you to do this because bad things happen when good men stand aside and do nothing. Have we all seen that? It's not just the things that you say and you wish you could take back. It's the times that you were silent and someone needed to step up and say something. That's wrong. That's false. 
That's not true. That's not what Jesus taught. We have authority from the gospel. The authority comes from the gospel. You can be confident in that. If you know the gospel, if you know the word of God, you are studied in the word and you know, okay, Jesus taught this, Jesus did not teach this, then that should embolden us to address the times where someone says, I think Jesus doesn't care about this. No, he does. And I can point you to chapter and verse. Okay, let's not get off track here. I can, I can charge you, and that word charge even has like a military usage um, in the Greek culture. I can charge you because I have been charged with this message. And these certain persons, we're not told exactly who they are, but I think it was pretty well known in that church because the division was public. It was happening, partly why, why Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. So who are these certain persons? They may have been, some of them, in church leadership. Or what often happens with false teachers are people in the church who want to be in leadership, and they have the ear of some people in the church, but they have not been authorized to spread that message, but they want to. And they can't help themselves to stop themselves. But Paul says, Timothy, I called you. I pointed you. The church laid hands on you. You are the messenger. Be confident in that calling and be vigilant against these false persons or uh, false teachers. Down in verse 20, he names two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, that Paul says, I've already handed these people over to Satan so that they'll learn not to blaspheme. What does it mean to hand someone over to Satan? It means they've gone through the Matthew 18 process with them. They've said, you are not one of us because you do not believe the beliefs that, that we have or you're living contrary to the gospel, we have to remove you from the flock. You cannot speak here. You cannot teach here. You cannot be in small group spreading your false ideas. There needs to be a healthy separation. We have to hand you over to the fact that you are an unbeliever, handing you over to Satan, so that you will learn not to blaspheme. We want you to learn the true gospel, but you're not going to learn it if we pat you on the shoulder and say, oh yeah, just come on in right with us. You believe the same thing that we do. No, you don't. We need to be clear about that. We need to stay the course and recognize those who would call us away from the course. Kind of like counterfeit money. You need to know the real thing, but you also need to be looking for some of those clever fakes that are working their way into the system. And that's why people who work at the FBI, they handle money all the time. They handle the real thing and they look at the new, the new way of, of printing that money. Oh, okay, I see what they did here and they train their agents in the field to be on the lookout. This is what is healthy, and this is what is not healthy. And Paul says, here's some ways that you can know how to spot these false teachers. And it's so tempting for me, because there's so many false teachers out there, to just start listing names. Really tempting. And I'm not afraid to do that. But what I think would be more helpful is if we stay on the word here, and I train you how to spot the not. So then you'll come tell me, who the false teachers are. Because, oh, the Bible says this, and they're doing this, and I'll say, yes, and amen. Way to spot the not. But true believers should walk in humility. There's a humility as you continue to follow Jesus, but not so with these false teachers. They are devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies. They're devoting themselves to speculation rather than stewardship. In other words, these false teachers love to hear themselves talk. 
And they, they love talking about, oh, let's, let's look at the genealogies of these famous Jews. And let's, I, I bet this happened here. And, and they're speculating. In other words, they're adding on to the Bible. It's a very dangerous thing to do. But maybe that's a lesson for us. The more we talk, the more we can get off track. So if, if we're talking, let's make sure we're talking about things that are actually biblical and true. And we're not just like, we don't just like to hear ourselves talk but they're devoted to it. They're devoted to talking about these things, which is really sad because we're called to devote ourselves fully to God and to his word, not anything else. But they're, they're devoted to this. They're also having empty discussions. There's no fruit there. They desire to be teachers, but they're not teachable. Paul says that they are overconfident in their assertions. Overconfident in their assertions. Isn't that something? And they're having vain discussion. So that, that empty discussion in verse 7, they want to be teachers of the law. They want that status. They want that respect. They want that following. And yet they're not willing to follow the path that Jesus has laid out for healthy discipleship, growth, patient learning as a student, and be mentored to lead. And then you're in a position where you can lead in the humility of Christ, and boldly from the word. Nah, they want to take the shortcuts. They're unteachable. They are those who teach or live a different gospel than the one that Jesus gave to us. And when you try to instruct them in the proper way, they're not listening. Can you think of anyone like that? Lord, I, I sure hope that's not me. In fact, the most spiritually mature people I know are the first ones who will say, when you point out a flaw in their life, or maybe they said something while they were teaching, it's like, no, that's not quite right. Just, are they going to get offended? And in a huff, are they going to say, you know what? Show me from the Bible. Let me, let me look at that again. And maybe they'll, they'll come back to the same conclusion because they're, they're seeking to understand and interpret the Bible the, 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 the way that Christ has laid out. But more often than not, they will say, you know what? I could have said that better. I could have... I need to restate that, or thank you for giving me the opportunity to clarify. There's just humility. There's humility in those who are walking with Jesus, but those who are walking not with Jesus, Paul says in Ephesians 3, they're walking as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They're living in the flesh, and they glory in their shame because their minds are set on earthly things. Church, we cannot allow false teachers have influence in our church and it's gonna be really hard because like timothy we're probably going to know some of them pretty closely i'd be friends with them but this isn't my church this is the church of jesus christ and we've been given his message we must stay the course and stand boldly on the word which means we need to know the word and be familiar with the word so we can spot those ninjas that appear in our midst because the moment they open their mouth now you hear the teaching. Or when you observe their life, you know, you say one thing, but you're living like a ninja. You're living like a false teacher. I'm not going to go where you're going. Because Jesus says we are called to believe and do the word. So we must guard the gospel against false teaching. Here's just a couple ways we can do that. First of all, there's safety in the community of believers. We help each other with mutual accountability. We help each other with Bible study. 
Ladies, you got your Bible study tomorrow evening. Men, we have our Bible studies Wednesdays at noon. We have our small groups that meet Wednesday and Thursday nights. This isn't like a control thing. This is a heartfelt fellowship, let the word of God work in our midst thing. And the more you are growing alongside other believers, the harder it will be to be led astray. But when you separate yourself from the flock, it's so easy to be encircled and entrapped and led astray. So find a healthy church, and I'd like to believe that Living Hope Church is a healthy church. Walk alongside these people, and they will point you to the word, and they will encourage you in the word, in season, out of season. Also, I would encourage you all to be trained to know how to handle the word of God. That's something that's on Pastor Dennis and I's heart this summer. We want to have some hermeneutics classes, which means Bible interpretation, teaching you how to exercise discernment and, and understanding of the word. Parents, we need to teach our children the word of God from a young age so they're not going to be led astray. The world is happy to disciple them, but I would rather we disciple them according to the word of God. So let's be on guard for that. Let's train our discernment. Let's guard the gospel. Secondly, we not only stay the course, but we remember the whole goal of our faith to begin with. In verses 4 through 6a, Paul says we're not supposed to be devoted to empty things. We're after something concrete. Verse 5, the aim of our charge, what we're shooting at, that target, excuse me, is sincere faith. It's a pure heart. It's a clean conscience. In other words, great commandment love, which is something that my wife and I learned a whole lot in in a marriage retreat a couple weekends ago. And Dr. Vining is here this morning as a guest, and he was one of the, the teachers of that weekend, helping us to learn how do we fully love God with all that we are? How do we love our spouse as ourselves for those of us who are married? But this is for all believers. Jesus says all the law and prophets hang on this to love God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. So false teaching is not going to be selfless love. It's going to be selfish. There's always going to be some kind of uh, motive or catch that will benefit the one teaching. Devoted disciples of Jesus, we, we have an authentic faith. We want to trust God. We want to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. But notice this word he uses about those who are who are uh, um, teaching something false, verse 6, they are swerving. Now, they didn't have cars back then. That's what we immediately think of, right? And there's a lot of people that swerve around here. My goodness. So watch out, physically on the road, but spiritually as well. They're swerving. That means, uh, in the Greek, it means to miss the mark, off target. So sin also means you know, fall short, but, but here, swerving, they're missing the mark. Even if they were, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the target. Their aim goes way over there. It doesn't spread the love of Christ. It doesn't bring unity. There's no spiritual fruit there. Oftentimes, it's just plain unhelpful and confusing because they're shooting at the wrong target. If we're shooting at the right target, faith, hope, and love, joy, and peace. When you're shooting at the wrong target, division, dissension, vain discussions. You see, it matters what target you're shooting at. We want to glorify God. So a couple of different uh, targets that people swerve towards in our, in our day and age, and I think in Timothy's day and age, one would be the target of, of universalism. I don't, you know, we all make our way to heaven eventually one way. 
well, you believe in Jesus, you're a Buddhist, or, you know, a Taoist, or, or even an atheist. You know, if you're a good atheist, you, can, you know, we'll all kind of get in there. Makes no sense whatsoever. Because if there is an actual heaven, then you got to take it from the one who created it and, and lives in heaven and says, here's how the way to get to heaven for us to say, no, all roads lead to heaven. Have you been there? Watch very carefully what you say. Or it's just a personal inner faith. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just you and your heart and whatever is in your mind. No, you're aiming at the wrong target completely. Another wrong target, which we find this in churches often, is pragmatism. Whatever works. What will get the crowds in and fill the seats? What will get those dollars in so we can build the bigger building? We can have the bigger impact. So they watered down the message to appeal to the listeners, which Paul and Jesus both said, that's exactly what a false teacher will do. They will tell you what you want to hear to get a favorable response. Self-centered motives. Pragmatism. Watch out for that. As, uh, as uh, was read earlier, there will be people who prophesied in Jesus' name, people who cast out demons. Think about this. Did Judas Iscariot cast out demons when he was ministering around the time of Jesus? So doesn't that mean he was used of the Holy Spirit? Doesn't that mean he's going to be in heaven? No. Unless he repented in those final minutes while he was at his end, he did not know the Lord. So he did not go to heaven. It's not about what works or what flashy things are happening or, or we saw a miracle happen. Is the commandment to love God with all that you are at the center? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ at the center? Because if not, then you're shooting at the wrong target. The gospel is the most precious thing in the world, church. If you know Jesus, you have been given the gift of a lifetime, an eternal lifetime. God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. What a gift. Have you received that gift? And if so, is that not the most precious gift you've ever been given? Do you typically have a habit of leaving your precious gifts out in the open? Whatever happens, happens. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure no one's going to take it. I'll just leave it by the curb. You don't do that with your precious things. We've been given a gift of the gospel. It's not whatever you feel or whatever you think. It is, how can I know God? I can know God. That is the word. And as a church, we can steward this well by knowing the word. That's why we have expositional preaching. That's why we have Bible study. But I encourage you, even beyond that, you personally must be in the word of God. You have to know this word for yourself. This service will last about an hour. Would love for it to last longer. So it'll last about an hour. You have how many hours the rest of the week? You're either listening and tuning into the voice of Jesus, or you're tuning in everybody else. And if you let everyone else do the talking rather than God, you're putting that precious prize out there and not guarding it by guarding your mind in Christ Jesus. On Easter Sunday, I would love to share this good news with so many of your neighbors and family members. Starts with treasuring that gospel yourself and then sharing it with others. Here's the third and final thing that Paul tells us. 
We just stay the course, right? Stay the course. <laughs> uh, we also need to, uh, sorry, remember the goal, and we need to know the law. Know the law and its proper application. Now, we know that the law is good. Paul says that right there. This is not one of those bait and switches. Oh, the Old Testament is old. You don't need to follow it anymore. No, if, if you understand Jesus' teaching, then you know the law is good because who gave us the law? God did. So the law is good if we understand its purposes, if we use it lawfully. So we're talking here about the Ten Commandments. We're talking here about the system of, of honoring the Lord in worship, even the sacrificial system, the tabernacle and the temple. None of those things were bad or wrong, which is a misconception a lot of Christians have today. Oh, the law, that's, that's old-timey. Now we have a God of grace. I don't know. You don't have grace without understanding the law because the law shows us why we need a savior. The law is essential. Paul says in Romans 7, 7, how would I know what coveting is? If I didn't have the law that said, do not covet. I need the law. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, I did not come to relax the law. I didn't come to dial it back and say, no, God's just going to forgive whatever and, you know, whatever he said, do not do. We know you didn't really mean it. it he says, no, I came actually to set the standard higher. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Oh, but I know I'm not perfect because I have broken the law. So I need to know the law so I can admit that I'm a sinner who has not used the word lawfully. I have not obeyed the law of God. And even when I try, and I try harder, and I try harder, and I'm not going to do that again. You know what I do again? That very sin. So my effort does not get me any closer to heaven, and that law stands over me like a foreboding judge saying, you will not enter heaven because of your sin. And it is heartbreaking, but that is the reality. The law of the Old Testament is a restraint Kind of like those speed limit signs you see posted around. Now, is the whole point you're only supposed to go 40 miles an hour on this road? Or is also the point of that law to promote safety and peace on the roads? It's both and. It's law and it's supposed to promote peace. In a similar way, the law was supposed to make a way where you could approach God and not die but you know what? I still need this restraint and I'm exposed in my sinful tendencies. And you are too every time you punch that accelerator and ignore that speed limit. We need a heart change because we are against God's words. And Paul lists for us what happens and how we know what godless behavior is. Look at verse 9. The law is laid down for the lawless and the disobedient. For the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane. You five people in here who are, uh, who are profane. That's all of us. Unholy and profane. For those who strike their fathers and mothers. For murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, but just homosexuality in general is a term. Don't let society or culture or false teachers in the church tell you differently. It is in the Bible. We cannot deny it. 
Same with immorality. To do with our body what God has not called us to do unless we have a man and woman in a committed covenant relationship with God. Enslavers, someone who grabs somebody and forces them to be a slave. It's breaking God's law. What about liars? They don't tell the truth. Perjurers. And whatever else is contrary to healthy doctrine. In other words, Paul could have gone on and on and on and on. And if you're here this morning, you say, oh, he didn't touch on my thing that I struggle with. No, he does. <laughs> and everything else, everything else that is contrary to healthy doctrine. Friends, we got a problem. The law is not the problem. We are. Our sin is. And I don't know any other way to get rid of it, which is why the blessed God gave us his gospel. This is why Jesus came. The law is good, but the law cannot save. Paul says in Galatians 3.24, So then, the law was a guardian in place until Christ came. Christ, the object of our faith, until Christ came so that we who were lawless, who were disobedient, now we can be made just by faith. You know, God wants to deal with that sin problem. He wants to make your heart right with him so you can spend eternity in heaven, have a relationship with him, and know the way to eternal life. But it's only faith in Jesus Christ. It's Christ alone because he's the lawgiver. And it was his perfect sacrifice on the cross that offers forgiveness for sins. Someone's got to pay the fine for your breaking of the law. Someone's got to pay it. I think it's the movie National Treasure. I watched that movie in so long. But in National Treasure, this whole movie, there's this treasure hunt going on. And uh, I think it's Benjamin Gates. It's Nicolas Cage, one of the few movies that I actually enjoy with Nicolas Cage in it. But uh, he's, he's doing all these things to get this treasure, which means he breaks laws and he breaks things and they break into this, this church and they do a number of things trying to find this treasure. And you would think, well, he's justified because he's finding this immaculate treasure. He still broke the law, though. So at the end of the movie, he's, it's actually ironic. They're sitting in a church. He's sitting in this pew and the FBI agent comes in and Nicholas Cage tells him where the treasure is. And then the agent says, well, Ben, someone's got to go to jail. For all the laws that were broken, you can't just hand us a treasure and say, that law doesn't matter anymore. Someone's got to go to jail. And eventually someone does go to jail. And it all works out. You know, someone had to pay the price for your sin and mine. And Jesus stepped in willingly as a substitute. I will take your place. I will take the place of the whole world. I will take all of God's wrath on me on the cross. And every drop of blood I shed whispers God's grace and his mercy and his unconditional love. Do you believe that message? Do you believe by faith? Because the moment that you turn and trust in him and confess your sins, you are made right. Now we got something better than the law. We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ in our hearts and before the mind of God. We are one with him and we will never lose that relationship. Praise God for that. That is the gospel. Someone took my place. So now why would we go back to trying to keep the law? 
like the legalists? Are you going to earn God's favor more than you already have? Did Jesus not sufficiently clean up your insides? Now we also have to eat kosher. We have to keep the, the Sabbath. We have to go to the temple in Jerusalem. We have to, you know, wear the certain garbs and, and not wear clothes that have any cotton in them. That's what the false teachers were teaching. Jesus is not enough. You need Jesus and this. Paul says, Timothy, I charge you. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And this morning I invite you, if you have not heard this message before or clearly understood it, I invite you now, in your heart, right there in your seat, before a God who sees you and knows you and has spoken to you, what will you do with his word?